And I, I just remember I, I was in Miami a couple months and in the drugstore and coming back and you kind of ask yourself, am I really doing this? Like, am I really filling an entire suitcase of <laughs> toiletries and laundry detergent? And, and, and then, yes, yes, I'm doing it. I, I have to go back. Wow. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Aki Ito of Bloomberg News in San Francisco. Today, Tori is still traveling with Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, but I'm joined by Bloomberg Data Editor Katerina Sariva in D.C. Hey, Katerina. Hi, Aki. Hey, do you want to tell everyone why your voice sounds so familiar? <laughs> Well, as you can recall, I was the star <laughs> of <laughs> Benchmark Podcast Episode 6, in which I talked about um, how I use the low euro-dollar exchange rate to my advantage when planning my wedding in Europe. Amazing. Well, my mom has asked me over and over again the next time we're going to have you on the show. I think she really likes the sound of your voice. said she, oh. you have like a real radio voice. Aw, thank you, Mrs. Ito. <laughs> well, Katerina, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking all about Venezuela, which has been in a terrible economic crisis that only seems to be getting worse by the day. Everything from a deep, deep recession to hyperinflation to a complete plunge in its currency and even the possibility of a sovereign default. And that's had huge and tragic and, and very real consequences for everyone living there. So I have a few incredible stats here based on quarterly surveys that I do on Venezuela. The economists survey, these are private sector economists, expect consumer prices to rise by more than 250% this year. That's more than triple. And they expect the economy itself to contract 7.8% this year. Wow. I mean, these are numbers so bad, you rarely see them in a modern economy. And I mean, I've been an economics journalist for seven years. And even for me, I see these numbers and my eyes just completely pop out. For context, in the U.S. banking crash, the worst annual contraction we saw then was 2.8%. And, you know, Katerina, would you say the situation in Venezuela is worse than maybe uh, Greece in the recent years? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Greece, even during the worst of it, when it did have a pretty significant economic contraction, I mean, it was still a developed country and you didn't see inflation like this. I mean, this is just really scary, scary price inflation. Yeah, definitely. So what people might not remember was that the Venezuelan economy did pretty well in the 2000s. You had the price of oil really skyrocketing up until 2008 when it hit about 145 a barrel. And Venezuela has the world's largest reserve of oil, so it really should be doing pretty well. But after 2008, we saw the price of oil come down mm -hmm. and the Venezuelan economy just kind of came down with it. Wow. Well, you know, I really think it's a fascinating story, uh, not just about an economy in complete crisis, but how a country kind of squandered its opportunity with this incredible wealth and in natural resources. So to help us get a better understanding of what's actually going on behind the scenes in Venezuela, we have our Caracas Bureau Chief, Nathan Crooks, joining us. Hi, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? 
Hi, Nathan. So we wanted to get a look into how all of this started and what's next for Venezuela. But first, would you tell us just a little bit about you? Um, are you from Venezuela originally? Oh, no, I'm from the U.S. Uh, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, I studied here in Venezuela as an exchange student after high school back in 2001 and 2002, and that's a year when there was a lot of protests and there was a coup and a counter coup that year. So I was here as, as a high school student and saw a lot of, of crazy action. Uh, and, you know, then I went to, I went to university in Canada and, and then my first job out of college, I was in, in Chile in Santiago and was there five years. And, and then uh, yeah, I end up back in Venezuela and I've been back here now just about five years. Wow, five years. So you've you've seen this whole thing, this whole crisis from pretty much the very beginning. Yeah, and when I got here, uh, and, and it's kind of interesting if you think about because it, at least in the past decade, you know, Venezuela has not been viewed as as an easy place. Even before the economy started to tank, there, there were serious problems with really really high crime rates, uh, and and it's never been kind of an easy place to live. But uh, I got here the second time around right in 2011, and that was right after it had been announced that uh, Chavez's cancer had returned, and, and so my coverage here started kind of just with the end of, of Chav the era of Hugo Chavez and, and his death, the, and the election of uh, the current president, Nicolas Maduro, and, and, and kind of economic decline since. Wow. When you moved to Venezuela, did you think you'd be covering this you know, kind of once-in-a-generation economic crisis? I don't think I ever thought it would get so bad. I I knew that it was a tough country. You know, I'd been here before and had a kind of a, a crazy here in, in terms of the political situation then. So I, I knew that I was kind of coming to a volatile environment, but I, I don't think I ever expected to just find myself, one, worrying about my personal personal security so much, and two, not being able to to find just really basic things, soap, uh, deodorant, shampoo, you, you name it, it's, it's really hard to find. And, uh, you know, now whenever I go back to the U.S., uh, to Miami or Pennsylvania or New York or wherever, I, I always stop at the, the pharmacy the night before I fly back, and I literally fill a, an entire suitcase of, of goods. And I, I just remember I, I was in Miami a couple months and in the drugstore and coming back, and you know, you kind of ask yourself, am I really doing this? Like, am I really filling an entire suitcase of, <laughs> uh, of toiletries and laundry detergent? And, and, and then, yes, yes, I'm doing it. I, I have to go back. <laughs> wow. So even for someone like you, kind of like an urban professional, it is very difficult to find a lot of these basics. Uh, oh, it's it's near impossible here. Except, you know, I'm one of the lucky few. I, I mean, I I'm I can travel. I can get out. I can buy these things, I have the hard currency to kind of acquire these things abroad. I mean, most Venezuelans can't do that. So, I mean, as as kind of annoying as it is for me, it's it's not impossible. Most Venezuelans simply cannot find this stuff. Wow. And what's it like day to day, like buying groceries? I mean, have things been changing in the past couple months? Well, I'd say things have been changing progressively over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, when I first got here, I would shop at a grocery, just at a regular grocery store in my neighborhood. You know, it, it was more convenient to go to the grocery stores. And, and 
I guess it's maybe been now about two years when the grocery stores have, have started to distribute these regulated goods. And I think if you look at Venezuela and if you ask yourself, what is the, the one kind of fundamental problem that is at the root of all of this wacky stuff going on, and it, it's the exchange rate system. You have three different exchange rates right now. Uh, the, the official rate of 10 bolivars per dollar, it's, that's been devalued. When I first got here, it was 4.3, then it was 6.3, and now it's 10. Then we have kind of a secondary exchange rate, which has also been devalued since I was here. First it was 12, and then it was something like 50, and, and then it went to 200, and now it's at about 550. And then we have a, a black market rate, which uh, in Venezuela it's, it's illegal to give out that information, but uh, you can look it up uh, there in, in New York and San Francisco and Washington and, uh, and see that for yourself. But um, So you have, uh, what that's done is it's made it it's made it cheaper for Venezuela to import goods because companies try to get these preferential dollars at the official rate of 10 bolivars per dollar versus kind of the the medium, the middle rate of 550 bolivars per dollar. And, and so it's much cheaper to import goods than it is to produce locally. And, and But then all of a sudden Venezuela ran out of money and they couldn't import the goods and their local economy had been kind of decimated. So there's these regulated goods, staples, uh, corn flour, uh, milk, sugar, kind of the basic items of, of the Venezuelan diet, and then uh, personal hygiene items are, are sold at these preferential rates, and they were distributed in grocery stores, and they started to run out of them because they're artificially cheap. Uh, and you got a whole black market right. for them, and, and, and so then what happened is uh, the, they tried to restrict first the number of items you could buy at the grocery store and then they restricted the the days that you could shop in the grocery stores by by your ID number and and so now it's to the point that these grocery stores have just become kind of centers where where these cheap goods are being distributed because that's all most Venezuelans can afford so now if you walk around Caracas you will just see lines everywhere and and so you know you asked me how my my life has changed i don't really you know, I don't shop at, at the grocery stores anymore just because it it's, takes too long. I, I, you know, I don't have time to, to wait six hours in a line, and, and that's what you have to do if you go there. Six so, hours? Is that, how long, is that how long the lines are? Oh, they're huge. I mean, people are in line all day long, some people. Uh, we did a story a couple weeks ago on, they call them bachaqueros, and those are the people who buy goods, buy the regulated goods, and then resell them. So... <laughs> And, and some of the people in the lines are the bachaqueros, and some are just normal Venezuelans. But uh, the point is now, you know, I find most of my goods in kind of uh, just local neighborhood shops, or uh, there, there's other stores kind of that focus on specialty imported items. And, uh, you know, that's not something that your average Venezuelan can necessarily afford. But there there is food here if you have, right. if you can afford it, but most people can't afford it because they've seen their, uh, you know, we talk about currency being at the center of all the issues. The minimum wage right now is about 30,000 boulevards a month. So if you look at the official rate, it's, that mm -hmm. sounds like $3,000 a month. That sounds like pretty high for uh, a minimum wage. But when you look at this, the, the, me, the medium rate, it's about $60 a month and much less at the black market rate. So, and you go to one of these non-regulated stores and a kilogram of or like two pounds of chicken will cost about a third of a monthly salary. So 
people can't afford to shop in in the stores where there are the products that their only choice is to kind of wait in yeah, line for our listeners i was gonna say that that black market exchange rate that nathan keeps mentioning but can't legally uh say what it is that's a thousand boulevards to the dollar amazing you know nathan clearly all of this has had very real human consequences is there like one thing that you can think of that has uh maybe made you uh the angriest or maybe has been the most heartbreaking for you you know there's there's a a couple uh you know, I, I remember right when I moved here, kind of before the current economic crisis started, my my landlord's husband was was murdered, uh, and they have four young kids. So, you know, uh, I, I think everyone who who spends a certain amount of time here, you hear all these stories and you think, oh, well, that's happening to someone else. But the the more time you start to spend here, you will you start meeting people that get end up being killed or kidnapped you start to hear really horror stories in kind of the current environment i think you hear tons of of really big problems uh, at the hospitals people that cannot get the medicine they need people who are are dying of cancer because mm -hmm. they just are not getting the right treatment here there's there's no medicine uh so so you hear all these stories but i think kind of another Another theme that I think about a lot is is just the the loss of of potential. Uh, you know, I, I think one one of the whole interesting things of this Venezuelan crisis, and and you look at the stats and you think, why isn't it worse? You know, why aren't people starving on the streets? And for me, it, it's most Venezuelans uh, own their residence, or they live with their parents, or they're in some kind of government housing. So. Most people are not worrying about paying rent or a mortgage. So all the money they get, they're spending on food, but they're not facing kind of that that imminent risk of, you know, losing their home that you see in other countries. But at the same time, if you're kind of a recent college grad or or maybe you graduated 5 years ago and are looking to start your career, there's not a whole lot of opportunities. Uh you're going to get a job that's probably going to pay maybe two minimum wages, you know, if you're lucky. So you're looking at like $100 a month and that that's not anywhere near enough to kind of start your life. Um, new apartments kind of in, in the nice part of town, they're all being rented in dollars. If you want to buy something, it's all dollars. If you want to buy a car, it's all dollars. And, uh, you know, things kind of are all being bought and sold in dollars, but the people are making boulevards. So there's just not a lot of opportunity here. I was at the you know, I went to the gym the other day and, and the lady behind the counter, you know, said goodbye. I'm I'm getting ready to leave the country. And I said, oh, that's too bad. And, and she she broke down crying. She goes, I'm 27 years old. What am I supposed to do? There's nothing for me here. And and so I, I think that's, uh, you know, the longer time you spend here, the more people you see go. And, you know, you can tr you can live in kind of the expat bubble here if you want and and it's you know it can be very fancy there's fancy parties there's fancy restaurants there's stuff to do here and and you can kind of get lost in that bubble but the more you get out of it and really start asking you know Venezuelans how they're doing it they're they're really struggling i i've seen especially in this past 2 years and this once again all goes back to the currency you've just seen real wages decline so much and and you've seen kind of white collar professionals who 2 years had what they thought were good jobs. They were making money. They could travel. They they could buy goods on Amazon and have it shipped here. And, you know, it was kind of a very standard middle class 
life, two vacations a year. They'd go to Miami on shopping trips. But now they're, they're finding themselves entering poverty, and, and you're seeing people like this who you kind of identify with, and, and they're, they're worry, worried about where they're going to get their, their next meal from. It's kind of a staggering shift. So, Nathan, um, could you take us back a little bit to how all of this started? Um, take us back to the years of Chavez. Sure. Well, you first saw Chavez come to power, first elected in 98 and came to power in 99. It was complicated. He was controversial. Uh, I think he really became radicalized in 2002 and afterwards when there was a brief coup that, that removed him from, from power and then he came back. Uh, there was a big strike. Uh, but then oil, the price of oil rose, and, and there was money everywhere. Uh, so, so they had these currency controls and, and these policies that, that privileged uh, imports versus domestic production, and they nationalized things, and, and there was a lot of rhetoric. Uh, but they had, they had the money. So, so this, these, these high oil prices really covered up a lot of things. Like, if you look at everything now, nothing that's going on is really new. I mean, this is policies that the country has been doing for the past decade, they've doubled down on some of them and, and things have gotten worse. But this, you know, everything that's going on now was started with Chavez. The only difference between Chavez and Maduro was, well, one, Chavez was a little better liked by his supporters and maybe had a little more uh, personality. But uh, the current president, Nicolas Maduro, just doesn't have the money to cover up the problems that Chavez had. Right. Nathan, I wonder if you think, you know, in some ways Venezuela kind of squandered this opportunity when it had all these rich natural resources, you know, could have saved it up the way that maybe like a country like Norway does. But instead, it ended up, uh, you know, creating these uh, big subsidies, ended up spending all that money instead of storing it for rainier days. Yeah, I think that's one of the thing why people, anyone who spent any time in Venezuela or, or covered Venezuela, you, you really get almost addicted to the place. And I think one of the reasons for that is everywhere you look, you see just potential that you don't see anywhere else. I mean, besides the largest oil reserves in the world, this place, they have big mining resources, diamonds, gold, minerals. Uh, it has the biggest Caribbean coastline in the world, uh, you know, famous tourist destinations like Los Roques in the Caribbean and Angel Falls, the highest waterfall in the world. And, and it's beautiful. And Caracas is a really pretty city. And, you know, every day of the year, the weather's about the same. It's a high of 75 and a low of 65. The weather's perfect. It's, uh, I, I mean, this place could, could really be paradise, but <laughs> it's obviously not. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of maddening to just look around and just see them. And it's only a three-hour flight from Miami. Geopolitically, it's in a very interesting place. So, uh, you know, you really see just all this potential everywhere. And, and then you look at what's happening, and it, it's kind of maddening. So Chavez died from his cancer, and Maduro, who was kind of his, seen as his successor for a while, right? He came to power. And, of course, we've had the problems with the oil price, which have exposed all of these issues now uh, with the government policies. What is the future? I mean, in December, the opposition won a majority in Congress, but they haven't been able to do too much with that, right? 
Yeah, we've seen after they won, uh, they even got a, a two-thirds majority, which they did better than they were expected, but they, they saw their majority kind of reduced by the Supreme Court. Right right after that election, Maduro put some more justices on the Supreme Court. They stacked it in his favor. And and, and so, one, the Supreme Court, the National Assembly had its majority reduced. And, and then we've seen every initiative that they have passed has just been overturned by the Supreme Court. So they've really had their, their hands tied. And in fact, recently, the government has, has said they're suing the Supreme Court or the National Assembly president for uh, for trying to do too much and, and and so they've really been under attack we were starting to see the opposition demand a, a recall referendum on Maduro that's kind of been the current focal point of activity uh, you know right now for instance in Caracas they're, they're holding a big uh, a march and they're the the government is shooting tear gas at the protesters so um, but but that's what the opposition is, is calling for is a recall referendum Wow. Do you think there's going to be a coup? Um, you know, I don't think that's for me to to say. Um, you know, I, I think that that certainly is a heated word that that you see thrown around in Venezuela a lot. That Maduro always accuses his his opponents of of plotting coups. I mean, the number of times I've seen Maduro on TV say there's a coup plot against me. I, I, I mean, it's 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 in you know many many hands to count that number, but. You know, I think if you look at what a coup is, I mean, normally a coup comes from the military, and in Venezuela, the government is pretty much controls the military, and we've we've not seen a whole lot of signs that the military wasn't completely with the government. There's there's rumors, and there's some ex generals who come out and and say things, but overall, it still looks like the military supports uh, the government for now. But you know, that said, there have been lots of coups here in the past, so I, I don't think it would surprise anyone. But we, we, we've we seen the opposition come out and say that they don't want a coup, that that they want this recall referendum. They want, uh, they want the people to have a chance to express their will through democracy. So no one, at least publicly in the opposition that you see, is advocating for a coup. But we'll see what happens. Right. And, you know, Nathan, on top of all this, Venezuela owes quite a bit of money to foreign countries. And there's been some nervousness about the possibility of Venezuela defaulting on that debt. What's that situation looking like now? Well, that's a- another really interesting question. And, and you know, one, uh, it all goes back, I think, to another reason why there's there's so much interest in Venezuela. And it's because of the debt. It's because of these bonds. And a lot of them are are traded on Wall Street, so and, and owned by by U.S. funds. And and if you look at at the bonds, I mean by PDVSA, which is the state oil company or, or the sovereign, these are bonds kind of backed in a way by the country's oil reserves at one point, which are the largest in the world. And and these bonds are dollar bonds, and they yield like twenty to thirty percent a year. So you're not going to find that investment anywhere else, except now they're trading at. 30, 40 cents on the dollar. Uh, I think credit default swaps show about a 70% risk of default in the next 12 months and uh, like a 97% chance in the, in the next five years. So people really, the market doesn't seem to think that they're going to make it much longer, but the, the government, they've said over and over and over again, we will pay the bonds, we're paying the bonds, they ha- they've paid everything so far, they've never even hinted that they might not pay. But to do that, they've had to reduce imports. And at this time of, you know, lower oil revenue, and, and this gets back to the whole current problem with shortages is they're, 
they're using the money they do have to pay their debt instead of importing goods that Venezuelans need. So, you know, that and as things get worse here, I think people are going to have to start looking at the question, do we pay the bondholders or do we import food? And and that's kind of a a tough question. So, uh if the situation starts to really deteriorate deteriorate here, you're you're going to see the government being forced to answer that. Yeah. Gosh, that's totally riveting. Uh, I guess we're going to keep a really close eye on this situation. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Anytime. Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. Take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at Akiito7 and at Katerina Sariva and NM Crooks for Nathan, our guest. See you next week.